This podcast covers a double homicide that occurred in Wildwood, Florida in 1972. There have been no arrests in this case. All individuals are considered innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Wildwood in Sumner County, Florida, was described by a newspaper reporter in 1972 as a predominantly agricultural area with rural attitudes. Rural attitudes, that's one of those phrases that you think you instinctively understand, but when pressed for a specific definition, you, or rather I, have a hard time putting words to it. It's a phrase that is seemingly charged with historical context, but for our purposes, a rural society boasts a lower ratio of inhabitants to open land. Translation, plenty of elbow room. Essentially, you like your neighbors, but you like them over there. Not so close that they're all up in your business, if you get my drift. But when we are talking about rural areas and crime, we're talking about things like plenty of places to hide a body. We're talking about how it's easier to get away with things when there's nobody right there on top of you to see what you're getting up to. Unless you've lived in a rural area, it's hard to get the scope of how easily things can go wrong when the terrain is just not in your favor, when help is further away than a scream in the night can travel. This story begins at a 76 station truck stop in 1972 at the junction of I-75 and State Road 44. Essentially, it's a pit stop on the way to somewhere else for almost everyone that passed through. But one man's pit stop is another man's home. 19-year-old Shirley Witten worked the night shift in the general merchandise section of the 76 truck stop, which also had a restaurant and other amenities for truckers. And on the evening of February 22nd, 1972, Roger Dale Higgins pulled into the lot of that 76 station with his boss, a fellow employee for a moving company, hoping to grab some rest before getting back on the road. It was a pit stop for Roger, and his fate was sealed by chance. He was new to his job, not familiar with the area, and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. With Shirley Witten, it was less about chance, because it's pretty clear to everyone involved that she was the intended target that night. This is Down and Away, Season 21, The Oak Grove Cemetery Murders. When the unsolved cases go cold, they eventually end up in this small room. Inside the boxes, the paper's even old. Oh, gosh, yeah. Files where you can see and almost smell the time that's passed. A heart-wrenching tragedy comes to a family's doorstep. Tonight on a 40-year-old His death was a homicide, but his killer remains on the And when police can't find the murderer... are telling us as many as 10 other This was the most heinous, cold-blooded murder case he ever encountered. You stab, you stab, you stab, you stab. an arrest in the rape and murder of a woman killed 17 years ago. ...start whispering among themselves and pointing fingers at those tips and tails lead nowhere. You may not remember their names, but these are the faces of hundreds of victims who've been murdered. Cops say an unexpected break in this tragic cold case. Their cases remain unsolved. Even though they couldn't tie anyone to the crime. There are still hundreds of murder cases yet to be solved. Rumors started coming in, the stories started coming in from the street. Maybe their conscience just got to them after all these years. They, you know what, maybe I better talk. Why would you keep this? 
information if you have it. Why would you keep it? Uh, a man has died here. Let's bring it to the surface. Uh, she deserves justice. This needs to be solved. Shirley and I were high school friends. We hung about with you know a group of other girls and guys, but we were all together. Uh, I considered Shirley a very good friend. Um, she was friendlier with another girl called Becky um, because I was a transplant from the North, so I was not a Floridian. So I came late to the picture. I came as a junior in high school. And, of course, she was murdered two years later, so. So you, before this incident, you were friendly with her. Tell me tell me yeah. what you remember about her personality. What was she like? Oh, my. She was bubbly. Uh, I don't think she ever walked anywhere. She more like ran or hopped or skipped. I mean, even as a high school senior, junior and senior, uh, she was just always going. Bubbly, bright, uh, full of life ready to do anything at all uh you'd call her up say surely you want to go to the beach today yeah sure let's go you know (laughs) it was just you know she was always there always bubbly always bright always laughing having a good time and she she'd want you to have a good time too you know she would have a good time she'd want you to have a good time you know, we skip school together. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you skip school, go down to the freezette, get a burger and a shake and come back, you know? Yeah. So prior to the night that we're going to talk about in a minute, had you ever been to the Oak Grove Cemetery? Oh, yes. So oh, yeah. it was, like the newspaper said, sort of a lover's lane type place or a hangout it, or what? It was a lover's lane hangout. We didn't go in groups. It was, you know, mainly one car parked on one side of the cemetery and you might see somebody else pull in on the other side of the cemetery you know but it wasn't the two didn't it wasn't like everybody stayed in their own car so okay so it wasn't like a big party out there it was it was absolutely okay gotcha now what can you tell me about the place had you been there obviously in the dark then is it pitch dark were there any lights out there back then back then i think there was one light just one and that was near the entrance. Like where the flagpole is when you see the, the sign or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, down, down there near the front. Yeah. Um, and there may have been one further in the back. But if you went out there, it was pretty dark. Okay. And what about the truck stop where Shirley worked? Was that a place that the kids hung out? No. I mean, we would go out there. Lots of kids would go out there like late at night especially if they had been doing some marijuana or something and they get the munchies. Mm-hmm. They'd go out there, get a burger. They were good. They had good chef salads. Can you remember that truck stop and tell me if from the parking lot there were big windows that you could see what was going on inside from if you were sitting in the parking lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was always, there was always big windows. Some of them were covered with, you know, um, the cigarette racks and... They had a lot of clothes and, you know, trucker stuff in there, like CB radios and antennas and knickknacks and whatnot and whatever. Uh, Lots of clothes in there. And that was one side. The other side was a restaurant. Uh, They had windows from, like, the waist up. From the Orlando Sentinel 
on Sunday, April 16, 1972, two months after the murders. Roger Dale Higgins, 26, was a truck driver working out of Fort Lauderdale. Shirley Elizabeth Witten, 19 and pretty, was the cashier and waitress at a truck stop just off Interstate 5 near Wildwood. They met over a cup of coffee on February 22nd. Sometime that night, they got into Miss Witten's car and drove about two miles west toward the gloomy Oak Grove Cemetery, a strange, trysting place. Early the next morning, their mangled bodies were found sprawled next to the girl's car in the cemetery. Miss Witten was semi-nude, but Higgins' body was fully clothed. The murderer had hacked the young couple to death, slashing at them repeatedly. Then, with his madman's fury still unfulfilled, he slashed all four tires of Miss Witten's car. Higgins' body bore 20 knife wounds. Miss Witten had been stabbed and slashed 40 times. The motive was not clear then, and it's not clear now. Police could only speculate that a Jack the Ripper was roaming the tranquil byways of Florida. The Oak Grove Cemetery is located in Sumter County, Florida, at the west end of what was known as the Ice Plant Road back in the day. It's in an isolated area in the north end of the county and was surrounded in 1972 by pasture land. It still is today. Now, essentially, that road dead ends into the cemetery, encircles the cemetery in what I can best describe for you as a capital P shape. When the investigator arrived on scene, the weather was clear, around 76 degrees, and there was no evidence of precipitation over the previous eight-hour period. He found a dark blue 1963 Chevrolet Bel Air four-door parked on the Lime Rock Road, I would describe its position as being parked in the part of the P-shape where the Lime Rock Road circles around and intersects itself, just before the car would pull back out onto the Ice Plant Road. The bodies of Shirley Witten and Roger Higgins laid a couple feet from the driver's side of the vehicle, nearer to the rear driver's side door. Roger was face down, fully clothed. They would later find that his zipper was down. Shirley was lying partially on her left side and back, resting against Roger's right leg. Shirley wore a flannel shirt and sweater, but was nude from the waist down. Her pants were found beneath her right leg. There was a belt noted in the report as accompanying her slacks, and her belt had a large buckle. Shirley's underwear were located in the grass about three feet east of her head. The state of the car doors was this. On the driver's side, the front door was closed tight, but it wasn't locked, although its window was rolled down about a half an inch. No other windows in the vehicle were rolled down. On the passenger side of the vehicle, the front door was closed tight and it was locked. The rear passenger door was ajar, but it was also locked. So you know how you sort of don't close a door all the way, but it's locked? That's how they found it. Dried blood was found on the driver's side rear door and the door handle, as well as they found blood splotches on the left rear quarter panel. No blood was found inside the vehicle at all. All four tires were flat and they all had puncture marks. 
there was blood around one of those puncture marks. About 10 feet west of the passenger side rear quarter panel, they found Shirley's knee-high boots in a grassy area, along with her bobby socks and rubber bands, which I presume were used to hold the socks up inside her boots. So the footwear is on the passenger side or the opposite side of the vehicle where the bodies were found. There was no blood found on her boots or her socks. Oddly, a pair of brown men's terry cloth bedroom slippers were found at the scene, one about 25 feet behind Shirley's car and the other about 10 feet in front of it. Testing would later reveal one, quote, negroid hair found on one of the slippers. Roger's wallet was found inside the car beneath the front seat and the driver's side door. Shirley's purse was found on the front seat, and her car had bench seats, the long seats rather than the bucket seats that most vehicles have today. Just to give you a little color so you can close your eyes and picture it, her purse was made of a pair of cut-off jeans, and she wore love beads around her neck. She also wore her 1970 Wildwood class ring on her finger. Her pants were hip-huggers and the boots were knee-highs, black with flowers. It's quintessential early 1970s. It definitely has a hippie vibe, and she would actually later be described as being part of the hippie movement in a criminal profile that was done that we'll discuss later on. Inside the car, they found a sweetheart paper cup on the front floorboard that they would eventually trace back to having come from the truck stop. It had contained soda, but the cup had been spilled and there were spots of soda on the dashboard, the front seat, and the floor. They noted that the spots on the front seat did not appear to have been sat in since it was spilled. Notably missing from that car were the ignition keys, and those keys would never be found, despite them having searched the area of the cemetery and the surrounding pasture land on foot and with a metal detector. No murder weapon was ever found either, and they speculated in newspaper reports that it was perhaps a pocket knife. Found leading from Shirley's vehicle on the Lime Rock or Two-Track Road to a point at its intersection with the Blacktop Road were splotches of blood that they would later determine were Rogers. That blood trail traveled down the ice plant or cemetery entrance road for about 150 feet from the vehicle and it ended at a larger area of blood on the ice plant road. There were tire impressions discovered at the cemetery that veered off into the grass on both sides of Shirley's vehicle, and it appears that the route of those tire impressions was that the vehicle came up in the grass alongside Shirley's driver's side, it then did a U-turn around her vehicle and drove back past the passenger side of her car, where the tire tracks encounter the lime rock portion or the two-track portion of the road between the grass, the impressions left were black skid marks. So at the arrival of the curved portion of that U-turn, it seems that someone had gunned the gas. Measurements of the tire impressions show that, quote, they would have been left by a vehicle measuring approximately 4 feet, 10.5 inches at its widest point, indicating to them that it was a small or economy class type vehicle. I have to say that while there are two homicide victims in this case, 
Much of the information in the case file and the investigation pertained directly to Shirley Witten, and that's because police believed that she was the intended target, and the case facts do seem to bear that out. She was a local. Roger Higgins just happened to be passing through. Because of that, police spent very little time on Roger's victimology. However, they did track down the man that he was working with that weekend for the moving company, and they did interview him. Marion Wallace was employed by Beacons Van Lines. He was the truck driver, and Roger Dale Higgins was his helper. He stated that on February 18th, which was a Friday, he was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He stopped in the Beacons office looking for a helper. He stated that at that time, Roger Dale Higgins was sitting in the office, and he hired him on the spot. He stated that on Saturday they loaded furniture out of the Gulf Ocean Hotel in Fort Lauderdale and then drove to Tampa on Sunday. On Monday, they loaded again in Tampa and left Tampa approximately 6.30 or 7 on Monday night, February 21st. Their destination was Atlanta, Georgia. However, when they arrived at Wildwood around 8 p.m., he decided that they would lay over there since the loading of the truck had tired both of them immensely. He stated that on arriving at the truck stop, he and Mr. Higgins approached the desk to see if they had any rooms available on this night. The answer was negative, so they decided to have dinner and then they would make up the beds in the truck. He stated there was no place to sit at the counter, so they went back out to the truck, and Mr. Wallace made a bed for Mr. Higgins in the trailer portion. He stated that Mr. Higgins said it was too early for him to go to bed and that he thought he would go up and watch television in the lounge. Mr. Wallace said that he accompanied Mr. Higgins upstairs to the lounge and they watched television until around 11.50 p.m., at which time Mr. Higgins said that he was hungry and he was going downstairs to see if he could get a sandwich. He remained watching television for another 20 or 30 minutes and then he too decided to go downstairs and get a sandwich before retiring for the evening. Upon coming downstairs, he said that he saw Mr. Higgins standing at the counter talking to a young woman. He stated that he didn't speak to his helper or the young lady, but he proceeded to the counter, he ate a sandwich, and then he retired for the evening in the sleeper portion of his cab. He said that upon awakening the next morning, he went to the trailer area to get Mr. Higgins up, and he found that the trailer had not been opened. He said that he also found that the bed had not been slept in. He waited and then he asked questions around the truck stop about Mr. Higgins until around 10 a.m., at which time he left a note on the bulletin board and then proceeded on to his next stop in Atlanta, Georgia. He said that upon arriving in Atlanta, he placed a call to the Wildwood truck stop to see if his helper was there or if he had hitched a ride to Atlanta and he was informed at that time that the sheriff's deputies from Sumpner County had been asking questions in regards to a young man that fit the description of his helper. So let's look at the days and hours leading up to their bodies being discovered in the cemetery around 8.15 that morning on February 22, 1972, and look at what was going on in Shirley's life up to the point her path intersected with Roger Dale Higgins. This cemetery was out of the way. It's not somewhere that a random murderer was likely to encounter the pair, particularly at 3 a.m. I think it's most likely that this person went looking for Shirley at the truck stop, and may have even been there watching, as she left the parking lot with Roger. I did speak with someone who was familiar with the truck stop back then, 
and I asked if you could see into where Shirley worked, meaning were there large windows, and she said yes. So it's possible that someone could have been watching from inside, in the restaurant or the store, or outside. Someone had already been up to the truck stop that night looking for Shirley, about an hour and a half before she was to clock in. Two someones, actually. Cousins. Their names were Daryl and Roy. Daryl was, in fact, a boy that Shirley had dated on and off since early December, when she moved back to town from Ocala, where she had been living and working for a time. And that's just about three months before the murders occurred. Shirley and Daryl started dating around December 10th, according to the police report. At the end of January, on a Friday night, Robert Wells went out with Shirley, and on that date he asked her out for another date, for the upcoming Sunday, but she told him that she was interested in Daryl, and that they were going steady. However, the words going steady might be the words of the investigator, because this came from the summary. Robert did mention to police that on that occasion he and Shirley had seen Daryl that night at the drive-in in Webster while the two of them were out together. A couple weeks after that, on February 15th, Daryl says that Shirley picked him up at his house around 9 in the evening and they went to a shop-and-go to get Cokes. And then they drove back to his house and drank the Cokes in her car in front of his house and talked. He says that this is the last time he sees Shirley. A few days later, on February 19th, Robert Wells was up at the truck stop with three other guys, and he told police that on this evening he asked Shirley again if she was going steady with Daryl, but this time she said no, so he took a shot and he asked her out again. Shirley said yes, and they made a date for later that evening once she got off work. She was working in the night shift that night rather than the overnight shift, but when Robert returned at midnight, he was disappointed because Shirley said that when she'd called her mom to say that she was going out, her mother said, oh, no, you're not. You're coming straight home. So Robert saw her the next day on Sunday, February 20th. He went to Shirley's house that afternoon around 1.30 with a guy named Ronald, and they, along with Shirley's sister, Joyce, went for a drive and got Cokes. Shirley had to be at work that day at 4, so they returned to her house in Coleman around 3.30. This is the last time that Robert would see Shirley, and I should note that Robert had an alibi for all of the irrelevant time period. He was at work at Central Packing from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m., and police checked him off their list. So that's Shirley's timeline leading up to Monday, February 21st, 1972, and I think it might be best illustrated from here on out to show how Shirley's evening played out in relation to Daryl and Roy's night. And remember, Daryl is the last guy that she dated regularly for any length of time, and Roy is his cousin. So around five that night, Roy and Daryl were headed home to Bushnell in Roy's car after working in Leesburg all day. They said they happened to run into Debbie and Michelle, and all four were interviewed, and they agreed that their evening started at the girls' Leesburg apartment. The guys both said that they left Roy's car there, and then all four of them went out for a burger in Michelle's vehicle. But I spoke with Michelle, and here's what she remembered. I came home from work. And Debbie had said, hey, you want to go out tonight? I've got, there are two guys coming over, and I'm going out with one. Do you want to come with? And I said, sure, why not? What are we going to do? She said, oh, we're just going to go ride around. And ride around meant ride around Leesburg, uh, and then go into Sumter County through the back roads, 
run around Bushnell for a little while, come through Coleman, head out towards Wildwood. Um, and in doing that, we, we were in Wildwood at the time. And I said, hey, why don't we go out to the truck stop? I, either I said it or somebody said it. I said, well, I have a friend that works out there. Oh, really? Who works out there? I said, my friend Shirley. And either it was either Daryl or Roy said, yeah, I used to date her. Let me ask you real quick. Your friend said, I'm going out with one, and you can go, which one was she going out with that night? That I don't rightly remember. Because this was a blind date for me, and I didn't know either one of them. Okay, so you had never met either one of these guys up to that point. And, exactly. Okay, that's interesting. So one of them, and you don't remember which one, said, I used to date her. Yes. And you, so you didn't know that he, anyone had been dating her. You weren't aware that any of them, even the other girl, knew um, Shirley. Oh, De- Debbie didn't know Shirley, no. Debbie went to uh, Bushnell High School. And I had gone to uh, Wildwood High School. And she knew them. I didn't know them. Okay. Debbie, oh, she knew the... Debbie knew the boys. I didn't know the boys. Okay. So tell me what... You make that suggestion, let you or it's one of you, you can't remember who, and then mm-hmm. you, you end up at the truck stop. So to go ahead and pick up from there. Yeah. And, and that wasn't really unusual because... You know, it was kind of like one of those circuit drives. You know, you're going from town to town to town. And, you know, the, the truck stop had food. It had clothes. It had knickknacks. It had bathrooms. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that's where we went. I said, I have a friend out there, Shirley. I said, we can go out there. I can say hey to Shirley. And, oh, well, we used to, I used to date her. I said, really? And the other one... Kind of said, yeah, he was in love with her. And whether they, he was kidding or what, I, I don't know. But anyways, we went out there. And uh, Debbie and I were in the part of the truck stop where they sold the clothes and the knickknacks and the whatnots. Because they always had good stuff out there. Um, went to the bathroom out there played with the perfume machine in the ladies' restroom. We came out, couldn't find the guys, so we went over into the food section. On the way, I happened to ask the employee behind the desk there in the clothing section if Shirley was working. And he said, yeah, but she's on break. So we continued our way trying to find Roy and Daryl. And... uh, we caught up with them, and I don't remember where. Uh, we were out there for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and we left. And we continued downtown Wildwood, and, it, and it's late. It's very late. So, you know, just continued to ride around. They were doing some marijuana. We rode around for maybe another hour, hour and a half. We had been out to the cemetery after leaving the truck stop. We'd been out to the cemetery and drove around a little bit. We didn't stop. Did you see anyone at the time in the Not cemetery? At the time. It was Not empty. At the time. 
All right. So you driving around. One of the places you go to is the cemetery. Who's driving, by the way? Do you know? One of the guys are driving, or whose car do you have? No, we. It was in their car, not mine nor Debbie's. It was their car. Okay. But we didn't. Like I said, we drove around. We didn't see anybody, uh, and we left. So around six thirty or seven, Wayne, also known as Red and Shirley left her home in Coleman and they traveled to the Bushnell area. They went to an area called Krumakuchi and then to a drive-in in Bevel's Corner, about seven miles away. This would be the same drive-in where Shirley and Robert had previously run into Daryl while they were out. This was an area where Roy and Daryl would also head that evening. By 10 p.m., Red and Shirley were at the house of a guy named Howell, where a group of guys were hanging out, all who would have been familiar to or friends with Roy and Daryl. Around 10.30, Roy and Daryl and the two Leesburg girls decided to pay a visit to the truck stop in Wildwood. When they were interviewed and asked directly by police whose idea was it to visit the truck stop, Daryl told them that he couldn't remember, and Roy said that it was Daryl's idea. According to Roy and Daryl, once they arrived, the girls went into the bathroom and Roy and Daryl inquired with a woman in the merchandise section about where Shirley was and they were told that she didn't arrive until midnight. Another important detail, small but relevant, is that this was only Shirley's second night pulling an overnight shift. She had been working the four-to-midnight shift, so it's likely that when they chose to visit the truck stop with the girls, they expected her to be there. Right around the time that Roy and Daryl and the girls are at the truck stop asking for Shirley, Shirley and Red leave Howell's house and they stop at a convenience store. Red has to buy toilet paper, of all things, and he said when he came out, Shirley was talking to a guy next to his car. When they left the store, she told Red, this guy used to live in Adamsville, but he moved, and then he moved back. Red told police that there were three other guys with him, and he was driving a yellow and black Super B. At 11 p.m., Red drops Shirley at her home in Coleman so she can get ready for work, and her parents verified that he did, in fact, bring her home, she got ready for work, and then left. 11.30 or 12, Roy and Daryl say that they're back in Leesburg at the girls' apartment right about the time that Shirley arrives for work. Roy noted in his police report that he dropped Daryl and Webster at his parents' house where he lived around 1 a.m. and reached his own house nearby minutes later. Two hours later, Shirley and Roger are seen leaving the truck stop in her vehicle at 3 a.m., which is her dinner break. According to multiple witnesses at the truck stop, Shirley speaks to Roger Higgins for most of that time from midnight until three when she left with him on her break. In fact, one assistant manager spoke with Roger at least twice and asked him to stop talking to her while she was working. It would be around 4 a.m. or just after that Shirley's family would get the call, waking them up, to tell them that Shirley had not returned from her break. Her brother remembers that call. And here's what he said happened right after that. On the night that she was uh, killed, you know, um, you know, all that was going on. Or yeah, she, I, they got, he got, the, my dad got the phone call. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody in the house is up because the phone's ringing, and you know that time of night. And uh, you know, I guess they told him that she was missing and was asking, you know, where, you know, she home, blah blah blah. Anyway, so I, of course, you know, I said, well, you know, she may have. Went home or left work and went with her boyfriend. You know, I didn't know. So anyway, they, I told him I knew where he lived. 
So I took my car and I went to his house. It's a trailer, it's a uh, house trailer. Mm -hmm. And I went to his house. So when I get there, of course, again, this is like two in the morning. So when I get there, there's lights on. So I knock on the door and a woman inside, you know, answers. You know, I don't remember exact words, but it had to be something like, who are you or whatever. So I told her who I was and I needed to speak to whoever the guy was. I can't remember his name. You know, uh, need to speak to him because Shirley, I didn't know she knew Shirley. I said, Shirley is not at work. And I don't know if he's with her or whether he knows where she is or whether he saw her. But the woman wouldn't open the door. She wouldn't come to the door. She wouldn't open the door. And she refused to, or she said he was in bed. But she refused to, you know, wake him up so he could talk to me. So she was the only one that spoke. And basically she was saying, I'm not coming to the door. You need to leave. Um, you know, I'm not waking him up. So and was, was this person old? What age was this person, this woman? He dated her. He, oh, oh, I couldn't tell because I never saw her. I mean, it sounded like a mom, you know what I mean? Okay, that's what yeah. I, I was asking. That, that, yeah, that level of voice, yeah, it sounded like a mom. Yeah, he lived with his parents, so that would make sense. Okay. If we're talking about um, Daryl, the one that was the boyfriend that she, on again, off again boyfriend, basically. And, and then, again, it might be, uh, I, you know, I, I can't remember the road that the house was on. You know, I, I just know, at the time, I knew where, how to get to it. So, it, I would not have left the home until... My dad had gotten a phone call. So that would have had to have been sometime 4 o'clock and after, 4 a.m. Right, and after. Yeah, so, right, okay. Right. Around 6 a.m., Shirley is reported missing to police. And it would be about two hours later, around 8 a.m., that the bodies of Roger and Shirley were found in the cemetery by a man named Horace Crenshaw, who was there to tend to his father's grave before work. He drove past Shirley's car on the right side the opposite side of their bodies, but did not see the bodies until he made that left turn back onto the blacktop, and I don't think he was exactly sure what he was seeing or didn't want to believe it, but he was concerned enough that he drove to the first road, made a left, and knocked on the first neighbor's door, asking her to call the sheriff's department because, quote, Either someone's having a late party or there's trouble at the cemetery. I don't know which. And we continue just cruising the towns. And I said, hey, look, guys, it's getting late. I've got to work tomorrow. I says, we need to start thinking about heading back towards Leesburg. And they said, okay. So after a while, they dropped us off at the apartment. Now, I'm a very conscientious person, okay? If I have to work in the morning and I'm going to be out partying at night, when I get home, I am going to look at the clock and see what time it is so that I know, do I have a half hour to sleep? Do I have an hour to sleep mm -hmm. until I have to get up and go to work again? And I set my clock. So got home, I looked at the clock, made sure I had the clock set for the proper time for me to get up in the morning, and I went to bed. Now Debbie came up too when she went to bed. They left. What time was it when you set your clock? I That I don't recall. It's been so long, I don't remember. But I, it was a ritual. You come in, you look and see what the time is, you figure out how many hours you have to sleep, and you set your clock. 
Okay, so you, I assume that if you told police a time, then that, back then, then that would be an accurate time, because you would remember back then. Okay, that's fine. Go right ahead. So, the next day, I'm at work, and the head operator comes and says, "The sheriff's office is on the phone for you. Take the call in my office." I said, "What?" She said, Sumter County Sheriff's Office is looking for you. Take the call in my office. Okay, I get up, I leave my position, I go. And the sheriffs say, "Um, we need to know your whereabouts. Last night, we picked up Roy and Daryl outside Oak Grove Cemetery last night. I'm going, what were they doing outside there last night? We left there. And they said, will you please come to the Sumter County Sheriff's Department as soon as possible? Okay. Well, I called Debbie. Debbie, did you get a phone call? She said, yes, I'm on my way to the Sheriff's Office. I said, okay, I'll meet you there. I get off the phone, tell the head operator, I've got to go. We get down there and... Of course, Debbie's sitting out in the waiting room, and she'd just gotten there, and so had I. And uh, I said, what's going on? And she said, someone was murdered in the cemetery last night. I said, what cemetery? And she said, the cemetery we had gone to last night with Maureen and Daryl. I said, what? She says, yeah. She says, I don't know all about it. She says, but, uh, she says, I heard they had picked up Roy and Daryl outside the cemetery. I'm going, oh my gosh. So I figured, you know, okay, we'll go in, tell them, you know, whatever they want to know. So I get in there and they're telling me that my friend Shirley, who we'd gone out there to see, had been murdered with her boyfriend and that they had picked up Roy and Daryl outside the cemetery, lawyering or whatever, I don't know what they were doing, uh, shortly after the co- they had received the call. So and, you're saying that not just your friend Debbie, but the police told you that they picked up Roy and Daryl loitering outside of the cemetery? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, go ahead. So I go in and they start interrogating me and asking me what I had done, where we were, what time this and what time that. And of course, I, I told them everything I knew, you know, and they said, well, Rory and Daryl said they left you off at this time. I said, no, sir. I said, they did not. I said, sir, I had to get up and be at work this morning. I said, so when I got home, I looked at the clock to see what time it was. I said, to gauge how long I had to sleep, set my alarm to wake up on time. I says, no, sir, this is the time. And I gave them the time. And they keep telling me, Roy and Daryl said, Roy and Daryl said, Roy and Daryl. I said, no, sir. 
I cannot. I said, if they're expecting me to lie, I, I am not going to lie. This is the time. And basically, I got the idea they didn't believe me. Hmm. You know, I'm just a girl who got secondhand high smoke from the marijuana that Lori and Daryl were doing. And I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's the impression that I got from the sheriff's department. But then the thing was, we were there for like three, four hours that day. So I called my head operator after that, and I said, do you still want me to come in? She says, no. Okay. So I go to work the next day, and they call again the next day. They want me down to the sheriff's office. I'm going, what the hey? Again, all the questions, all over again, the same questions. And again, they're telling me that the times I'm quoting them are not correct because Rory and Daryl say no. I says, my story's not changing. I said, why should my story change? I know what time it was. And for about a week, they were calling us every day to go down and repeat this, the same story over and over again. And because of that, the head operator got tired of it, and she fired me. Oh, wow. And about the same time, Debbie and I are talking, right? And she's saying, Michelle, I'm really scared. I'm really scared. She said, I'm going to go home. I said, well, I can't keep this place by myself, but I'm scared, too. So I went and I talked to my parents, and I said, look, I said, I'm really scared. I said, I'm afraid that if they didn't do it, or even if they did and they get out on bail, they might come after me and Debbie. And my father said, well, give up the apartment and come home. So Debbie went to her parents and I went to my parents. And I don't think I left the house for a month. Did you have any contact with Roy or Daryl after that night? No. How now? So they for but like you say about a week. Police talk to you. Did they come back and talk to you in later years? They came back. God, how many years ago? They did come back once because my mother. I was talking to my mother, and my mother asked me about it because they had been to her house to ask about me, and they made a trip to to ask me about it. And did anything change about their questioning between the early days and the after? Did it look like they had a specific theory? What was the questioning like, similar or different? It was the same. You know, how can you be sure of the time? I can be sure because I had to get up and go to the work in the, the next morning. Okay, so you told me that um, before you guys went to the truck stop, it, you, it may have been your idea. You said, well, let's go see my friend Shirley. And that's when the first time they mentioned that they knew Shirley. Yeah. Uh, do you remember any discussion about Shirley after the, you stopped at the truck stop between the guys or any of you? Anything that they said? No, because Debbie and I went one way to look at souvenirs and and clothes and stuff like that. And they had gone, like, to look at the electronic stuff that was just like CB radios and whatever. So, I mean, we lost track of them for a good 15, 20 minutes.
And when you got back in the car, there was no discussion about Shirley at all? No. And what were their temperaments like that night, like before and after the stop at the truck stop? Anything noticeable that stuck out or no? No, I mean, it was just four, four people just riding around having a good time, you know. Were there any other places that you stopped and went in, got out of the car? I don't think we did. I think all we did was ride. And as far as the cemetery, did you go to the cemetery before or after you went to the truck stop? After. Directly after? Yes. What was the reasoning for going to the cemetery? I think they wanted to, like, make out and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I know I wasn't in the mood, and... If they had put a hand on Debbie, you know, like to reach over and pat her knee or whatever, Debbie Debbie refused it, or would have, because Debbie Debbie was not one to display emotion, you know, that type of emotion mm-hmm. with me in the car, and I I was the same way. You oh, know, right. Uh, I'm not going to make out with a guy in the back seat if you're in the front seat. And she's not going to make out with a guy in the front seat if I'm in the right, seat. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm down with that, too. That wouldn't be my no. thing, either. Um, so I they would have, gonna, they would have not, it wasn't like you guys were, this was some date where you guys were going to be intimate. This was just, got people, you were essentially hanging, I mean, from your perspective, who knows what they were thinking, but from your perspective, right. it was just, you know, going around driving, which we did all the time. That's, yeah. Okay. You know, you drive up and down the strip 15 million times in the, on a Friday night, you know, you didn't really stop anywhere. You just drove. Okay. I want to, I've got, uh, I told you the police report and I've, I'm wait, still waiting for more documents, but essentially I have the summaries that the police put together of all the interviews that they did. Um, and I want to read you what it says for Roy and Daryl, what they said. Okay. Because what it says for yeah, you. Because I have no clue. I don't even know how Roy, I don't even know how Shirley and her boyfriend were killed. All right. First of all, that he was not her boyfriend. He was a trucker that she just met that night. He ha- he oh. he was um, he worked for a moving company, and him and his boss, or the the guy that he was working with, they pulled their truck in. They were headed to Georgia, I believe, but they were headed to another state. They stopped to rest. They went and get got some to eat, and he just started chatting with Shirley, and um, and then they left at three a.m. to go over to the cemetery. Apparently, this is this is um, Daryl's interview. When questioned as to his activities on the night preceding the murder of Shirley Witten, um, Daryl says that he and his cousin Roy were returning to Bushnell from Leesburg at around 5 p.m. on the 21st of February when they happened to run into two young ladies that Roy was supposed to have known. Daryl states that he and his cousin accompanied these girls to their apartment in Leesburg. Okay, so that fits so far. According to Daryl, he, his cousin, and the two young ladies then left the ladies' apartment, driving a vehicle belonging to one of the women. And you said it wasn't your car, one of your cars. You said it was their car. Is that what you were... Yeah, because it, it wasn't my car, and I... It wasn't Debbie's either. It was theirs. Do you know what kind of car Debbie had at the time? Yes, she had a Ford Fairlane. Hers was two-door, mine was four-door. And what color was her Ford Fairlane? Blue. 
According to Daryl, he, his cousin, and the two girls then left the lady's apartment driving a vehicle belonging to one of the women. They proceeded to a, they proceeded to a hamburger shop in Leesburg, and from the hamburger shop drove on to the area of Wildwood. Daryl stated that he doesn't know which of the four of them suggested it, but they proceeded to the Wildwood truck stop, arriving there at or around 10.30 p.m. He states that while the two women went into the restroom, he and his cousin approached the cashier in the merchandise portion of the truck stop and asked for Shirley. He was informed that Shirley was not on duty at this time and would not be in until around midnight. And she, in fact, did not work that night until midnight. Uh, Daryl, okay, Daryl can't recall the name of the woman that gave him this information. He further explains that after this, the four of them left the truck stop. They drove back through Bushnell and from Bushnell proceeded on to the apartment of the girls in Leesburg. He states that the only names that he can remember as far as the young ladies go is number one, Debbie, and number two, Shelley. And he said that Debbie works at the Lion's Den in the city of Wildwood. And um, he doesn't have any idea where um, the girl named Shelley was employed. And he said the vehicle that, they, oh, there it is. The vehicle that they were driving belonged to Shelley. It was a 1966, uh, uh. 1966 yeah. Ford Fairlane four-door light blue in color is what he said. Yeah, Debbie and I both had Ford Fairlanes. Hers was two-door, mine was four-door. Um, so he so told them it was, was your car. not my car. Believe me, it was not my car. And if, let's say if you took your car, would you be driving or would you let them drive? No, no, I would drive. And who was driving that night? One of the boys. One of them. You don't know which one was driving? No, I would not let anybody drive my car. And you were not driving? I was not driving. Okay, let's go down to what Roy said, because there's a little bit of difference in that, too. He said on or about February 21st at around 5, he and his cousin, who has been mentioned previously, Daryl, were returning to Bushnell from Leesburg after completing a day's work. He said that he came upon two girls that he was familiar with, Deborah uh, and um, Michelle. And also known as Shelley, he stated that they accompanied the girls to their apartment in Leesburg, whereupon he parked his automobile. They went into the apartment and had a couple of cold drinks. They decided to go riding around and they took Shelley's automobile, drove to a hamburger stand in Leesburg, ate a hamburger and then continued on to the Wildwood area. When he was asked whose idea it was to go to the truck stop, he said it was his cousin Daryl's idea because he said he had not seen Shirley um, in a while and wanted to ride out to the truck stop upon arriving. Okay, okay so he's saying Daryl couldn't remember whose idea it was. Um, Roy's saying it was Daryl's idea because he hadn't seen him in a week. And, and Daryl did tell police he hadn't seen her for about a week. Uh, upon arriving yeah. at the truck stop. Yeah, that, I, I, rem- I remember that now, yeah, that he hadn't seen her in a while. And that's when the other one started teasing him how he was so in love with her. My interest was that in wanting to know whose idea it was, is only because if it was Daryl's idea, and he still liked Shirley, walking into her place of employment expecting her to be there with two other girls probably wasn't going to gain him any brownie points, you know? Right. Um, like I said, we separated, too, when we got in there. Yeah, it does say that you guys went and to the I bathroom. Didn't, I didn't know that they had gone, by, you know, independently of us to ask about Shirley. And you said you remembered them telling you Shirley was on a break, not that she hadn't gotten there. Is it possible that, 
is it possible that maybe you just misremembered that and that it, she hadn't been on duty yet? That's possible. Just uh, because... Just that she wasn't there. Uh, and I will tell you, I, that was yeah. only her second overnight shift. Normally she worked like four to uh, midnight or something. In this one, she was working midnight to six. So it may you may have been used to her being um, working... A later shift, uh, you know, uh, but not the overnight shift. So in your mind, that right. may be why you're remembering it that way, because she would have, you know, been on a break earlier. That, that, no, that's possible. That's possible. Right. Okay. So it says upon arriving at the truck stop, the four of them went in. The two girls went to the restroom. Uh, mm -hmm. Roy and his cousin Daryl approached the young lady in the merchandise side of the truck stop where Miss Witten is employed and asked for her. They were told that she would not be on duty until around midnight. So Roy said at this point they went back out of the truck stop accompanied by the two young ladies. They got in the car and continued down into the Bushnell area. He said that from Bushnell they drove back to Leesburg and arrived back in Leesburg around 11.30 or 12 midnight and he says they went into the apartment and listened to records with these two girls for a short period of time one of the girls fell asleep so he and his cousin left the apartment and drove back to webster arriving home or at or around 1 a.m he said he stated he dropped off his cousin daryl at his home and then continued to his own red residence arriving shortly after 1 a.m so do you remember them how they get back out to the cemetery well, uh, what do you mean? Because I was told that the sheriffs or the police had arrested them outside the cemetery. There's nothing about that in the report that they were that the two really? of them were arrested in the cemetery at all. No. Mm -mm. Really. And there's nothing in this report that any of you told them you guys stopped at the cemetery that night. Hmm. Do you remember telling now this is now remember this is a summary after the first in those first couple of days the first interviews they may have more interviews that you if you added to or changed things or were you know when you refer the first day your interview you were probably like not thinking is it important to tell them that we stopped at the, I mean but I would think you would think that would be an important detail given that um, when you learned that that's where she was killed do you remember learning that she was killed at that cemetery before you were interviewed. I didn't know who had been killed at the cemetery. You just knew that sheriffs were calling you and, and you didn't know anything till you were interviewed. Exactly. And at that time they told you that they it was Shirley? Before because because Debbie, when I called Debbie, she said somebody had been killed at the cemetery. So uh, the uh, when they spoke to Debbie and Michelle, your guys' are addresses are listed in date of birth, and all they write is this for your summary. Upon interviewing... Miss, um, which is Debbie, she basically told the same story as did Robert and Daryl. Upon interviewing Michelle, she also told basically the same story as did and Daryl and Roy. So basically, they didn't say you said anything different than the guys. Nothing different. These say that um, they left your house and were back at their own houses in Webster around 1 a.m. That would still give them plenty of time to do something. That's two hours before she even left the truck stop. So I'm not, I'm not understanding why they would have been so aggressively interviewing you about the time because that's not going to change much if they left in your house around midnight or after and got home around one that wouldn't give them any alibi still with you guys you wouldn't be giving them an alibi because they were leaving your house two hours before the murders yeah, even happened i think it was later than that you think they left later 
I think that they didn't take us home until later. I didn't have a whole lot of time left to sleep before I had to get up. So you think it was more around, you, so, you told me too, yeah. One, one thirty, two o'clock. Which would have yeah. then meant they would need to be heading directly to the cemetery, or up, mm-hmm. not cemetery, but directly up to the truck stop, because they wouldn't have known she was going to be in the cemetery unless they just passed through the cemetery, right? I mean, they could have done yeah. that, I suppose. It, I'm, I'm just curious about, you know... Why they? It is interesting that you guys were in the cemetery that night. That they went, you know. Yeah, but that wasn't. That wasn't a big deal back then. You know, it was nothing. Right? You know, you go to the truck stop, run around a little bit, come back. You can hit the cemetery. I mean, it's not what, but a couple miles. Right. Except the fact that they stopped, you guys stopped at the two places where the girl that ended up being killed was at that night. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it from the guy's perspective, if they're up there asking for her, knowing now that she gets, she comes in at midnight and what time around yeah. she'd be going on break, you know, then they've kind of got yeah. her schedule locked down for the evening. So basically the things that are, that are interesting to me is you're, you're positive you didn't drive. Is that correct? That I night? did not drive. You did not drive and it wasn't your car. So if they said that, that's not true. You're correct. And it makes me wonder how much, you know, police saying, well, you guys basically said the same story, you know, without saying you're showing your whole interview is, is problematic because that you're saying that's not what happened. You did not drive your car. And none of and nowhere in these interviews does it say that you guys stopped at the cemetery and you're positive you stopped at the cemetery after the truck stop. Yeah, but I mean, it's a, it was a, like a run-through. It was not like we stopped for 20 minutes or so. No, it was, you know, you go, you, you ride around up there, nobody's there. Okay, fine, let's go, you know. Right. And not that anybody actually hung out up there, but... Well, that's what my question is. Why were... If, you know, if you're just driving and you never did even stop, it sounds more like wanting to see if anyone's up there than... Because you guys didn't park, right? He didn't... No, we, no. Okay, so if there was no park, what's the... The purpose is just to drive in that circle around and keep going? Like, my question is, do, is it possible they were looking for Shirley there? That, I don't know. Be- I... You know, I felt, I felt it was a little insulting that whichever one it was, either Roy or Daryl, that had dated Shirley, that's the one I was in the back seat with. Oh, okay, you were in the back seat with, that means Roy was driving. Okay. Roy would have been driving if you were in the back seat with the one that had gone out with Shirley. Daryl went out with okay. Shirley, not Roy. Daryl went out with Shirley, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was in the back seat, and see, if that was my car, I'd have been in the front seat. Well, right. Correct. That seems that seems right. I mean, he out these they outlined their whole stops, every stop that they made, and they conveniently left out the cemetery. Did they ask you if you had been in the cemetery that night? I, I want to say they did ask him what we were doing out there. Because we'd gone past, we'd gone up there, but not that we had stopped or anything. We were just driving through, just hanging out. Right, and you know what may have happened is this is the first series of interviews where the guys didn't mention the cemetery, and you guys didn't mention it because you're 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 basically 
you know, just... We weren't wanting to get in trouble because guys have been doing marijuana. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Uh, <laughs> we didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> so does it seem to you that... If it had come out, if it had come out that we were... Right, know, smoke, yeah. Smoking marijuana. Mm-hmm. And our parents found out, you know... I mean, come on, we were 18, 19... Yeah, maybe. But it seems to me that what they what it sounds like they kept coming back to ask you about was the time, the time, right? Is there anything else they focused on as heavily than than the time that the guys left? That was their main purpose. When they questioned me, it was timing, and I was at that time. I had told exactly what time we got home, and I had looked at the clock, and had to set my alarm so I could get up in the morning. Do you remember what time you guys, you had to get up for work? No. Back then? It was probably the morning shift, which was probably either 7 or 8. And do you remember thinking, I only have a couple hours to sleep? Exactly. Okay. Well, they're basically saying, um... They arrived back, you guys arrived back in Leesburg, 11.30 or 12, and they came into the apartment and list of records. Do you remember? No. They didn't come in and listen to records. You guys went in and that's it. They were not in. That's correct. Okay. Hmm. Their big thing was timing. They wanted to know how I could be so sure of timing. And I said, because I had to work the next day. I had to get up to go to work. And it just seemed that that's what they hounded me on the entire time. And that's, that's the one thing that has stuck with me the entire, all these many years. I felt they did not believe me when I was telling them about the time. And see, if it had been my car that we drove, I would have been driving it. Debbie and I had the same year, make, and model car. Except hers was a two-door and mine was a four-door. And um, Daryl's interview he said the vehicle they were driving belonged to Shelley it was a 1966 Ford Fairlane four-door light blue yep so he said your car that's what he told police it wasn't my car or I'd have been driving I was in the back seat stay tuned 